0: Uh, it was postponed from the night before, and uh, so we had it yesterday, and so then we didn't eat dinner. We just came here, and so at 8.30 last night, Amy was kind of looking for snacks. We didn't really have any snacks in the house, and then she wondered why we didn't, but I reminded her she buys the groceries, and we're trying to be more snack-free, um, and so then I said, I said, well, I, I, I want to order Chinese food, and she thought that was a bit of an extended snack. Um, But I called Amy's walk out in Stony Creek. They're like, yeah, we can do one more order. I'm like, that's awesome. So I ordered a whole bunch of Chinese food, and we sat together opening a couple of gifts. I know we did that Christmas Eve, watching a movie together and divulging Chinese food. We just ate a lot of Chinese food. It was a lot of fun. And our dog just sat there hoping for droppings as we were eating our Chinese food. So I'm hoping that your Christmas has been as merry as ours. Um, But of course, the real reason we celebrate is the incarnation, that Jesus would cloak his deity with humanity, that he would show up, and that he would live among us. And this morning, I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the passage. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law... He asked, "'Where is the Messiah to be born?' "'In Bethlehem, in Judea,' they replied. This is what the prophet says, "'But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel.' Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the child.' As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their gift treasures, presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. He got up, took the child and his mother, that's Mary, during the night they left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled out of the, uh, what the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That was what was then, sorry, what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We looked last night at the angel's declaration that Christ had come. A Savior had been born who is the Messiah, the Lord. And I suggested last night that he is able to be the Savior because he is the Lord. And he's able to be the Messiah because he is the Lord. No one else could be the Messiah. No one else could be the Savior. Only the Lord could do it. Only the Lord himself could be the Savior and Messiah. That's why it's critical that Jesus is both. When it comes to the Magi, though... There's a whole bunch of misconceptions. I mean, who were they? How many of them were there? Where are they from? And there's a whole bunch of tradition that's been mixed with the biblical account. So, for example, we will sing at times, We Three Kings, but the Bible never mentions in any way that they're kings. King, them being called kings isn't mentioned until the second century under Tertullian, also, it's mentioned that there are three of them, but the Bible doesn't say how many there were. Were there two, were there seven, were there nine? We have no clue. Three is assumed because there's three gifts, but that's only a possibility. It's not a necessity. And three doesn't show up until the third century with origin. These are church fathers. When they're speculating about what this looks like. And because it happens in the second and third century, those things that are speculated about end up becoming true to Christian history, though not true necessarily the account itself but the most complicated thing about this encounter and then i'll get to the application of it in a few minutes is when did it happen when did it happen well we know it didn't happen the night jesus was born but when did it occur this is incredibly complicated to figure out much debate is over this so you have the shepherds who are there the night that christ is born the angel appears to them declaring that Christ is born. And, and when the angels appear to them declaring that Christ is born, they go and they worship him. They're there. Then 40 days after that, after Mary is purified, she goes to the temple. So you need to re- remember, Jesus' parents, right? Er- earthly mother, Mary, earthly father, Joseph. Though God the Father is the one who, because God the Son, he's part of the triune God, Jesus, uh, Jesus placed by the Holy Spirit into Mary's womb, but Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. They've traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They've done that because Caesar Augustus has required a census. That's about a ninety kind of mile journey, right? So they've gone there. They've come from Nazareth, which is in the north, down south uh, to Bethlehem. So they passed through Jerusalem to get there. Jerusalem is only ten, you know, or so kilometers you know, six or seven miles, uh, to Jerusalem. So after 40 days, Mary and Joseph go, because she's been purified, to Jerusalem to present Jesus. And, And in that, Simeon and Anna. We have those accounts in the book of Luke are there. And they give credit, wow, this is Jesus. We've seen Jesus. It says then, Luke then says that they then went to Nazareth. But we have Jesus here in a house in Bethlehem. So what happened? How does he end up back in Bethlehem in a house, likely a year old, maybe a year and a half old, because Herod kills all the boys under two? So what goes on here? Well, there's a couple of possibilities, right? Um, and in between, you have the flight to Egypt. The one is this, that the Magi, someone suggests that the Magi showed up prior to the purification at the temple, that the shepherds are there about 13 days later or so, The Magi come, they worship him, they flee to Egypt, they come back to uh, uh, Nazareth where they were after Egypt, so they were only there a short time, then they do the purification rites, then they go to to Nazareth. That's a possibility. I think it's a highly unlikely possibility given the time that it would take to do all of that and how long it would seem that they were in Egypt and because they stayed in Egypt to Herod's death, likely unlikely. So my hypothesis would be something more like this, that I think that they were there in Bethlehem. Joseph had to get work. They had to wait 40 days. They were a family of meager means, so probably he was working as a carpenter, got some jobs. He's a handy guy. Bethlehem's a hamlet. It's a small place. There's not a lot of people there. It's not a city like Hamilton. It's a small town. And so that's why likely, though, it's devastating for the families that are, where their oldest child, where anyone two and under is killed... By Herod, it's not mentioned anywhere else in history because Herod killed lots of people, dozens of times. Um, Herod had temper tantrums. They would just execute people en masse. And so maybe 15 children being executed isn't even worth mentioning in Herod's reign because he killed so many people en masse all the time. That's why people, when it says that Herod was distressed and all of Jerusalem with him, they're distressed because they're worried he's about to have a temper tantrum and just go out murdering en masse. Because he's the king, he can just do it. He can do whatever he wants. We don't understand monarchy. Even as the queen recently passed away, the queen recently passed away, she had no power. She was simply a figurehead. She had had no power whatsoever. But the king in those days had ultimate power. You were the judge, you were the jury, you were the entire system. Whatever you said was law. If you said it, you signified it, you put it into law. So here's what I think happened. Jesus was born. They, they've gone from um, Jerusalem, or sorry, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Jesus was born. The shepherds come. Forty days go by. They go up to the uh, uh, Jerusalem for the purification of the temple. They meet Simeon and Anna, who are amazed that they now see the redemption of Israel. This is where I'm unsure of what happens, but I'm going to give you two choices, right? I think when Luke says that they went to Nazareth. He's making an overall statement that that's what happens after Egypt. And so it's like this morning at 8.30, I said to my family, I got up early, worked on my message, that at 8.30, I said to my family, I need to go to church. I need to get ready and go to church. And I went and sat and worked in my pajamas at the dining room table on this message. And as I was working on it, kind of going over my notes, sticky about it, Jewel and Ivy showed up at 9.30, where I'm still in my pajamas at 9.30 this morning, by the way, Um, at the dining room table, and I can shower in six minutes. It's like, I have no hair, right? It's a quick thing. So I'm there at the dining room table, and I can't remember, was it you, Jewel? Said to me, Dad, what are you doing here? You said you were going to church. Now, this happens in my house all the time. I'll say to Amy, I'm going to the gym. And what I mean is, at some point in this next block of time, I'm going to the gym. And I'll read and pray, and I'll get lost in a book, and I'll think about some things. And she'll come downstairs and be like, you're going to the gym? I said, I am but I haven't gone yet. And I think that's what likely has happened. That Luke is just saying that they went to, uh, they, 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 they eventually came back uh, to where they, had, where they had begun, right? To uh, Nazareth. However, he doesn't give account like Matthew does of Egypt. He just doesn't do that. And so what I think happens is they then are there, they return to Bethlehem from Jerusalem, where after the 40 days of purification they're there, Joseph has gone back to finish some of the work that he's started, because he now has a job he works through that time. And at about a year, because the Magi find a boy at a house, maybe a year, you know, 14 months, the Magi are there to worship Jesus, because the star appears when he's born. And the Magi, we don't know where they're coming from. We know they're from the east, are they from Arabia? But they're likely hundreds of miles away. So their journey would take a long time to get there. Which is why in your nativity scene, the magi should be somewhere further out. But I won't come and change your nativity scene, I'm just telling you. I might change my mom's today, but that's totally different. Um, I'm her son. So who are the magi? Right? Well, they are astronomers. They study the stars. But they're also astrologers. So they want to determine fate based on the positioning of the stars. So you have three kind of groups mentioned here in the first few verses of of Matthew 2. The Magi, right, who are, you know, superstitious men, wealthier, Gentiles, so not Jews, astronomers, astrologers, right? So they both study the stars um, for fact and for fate, and they're from the east. There's Herod, who's rebuilt the temple, He was a masterful administrator. That's why he ruled for so long as king. The Romans loved him because he was totally given over to them. And the Jews didn't like him because he was totally given over to Rome. And in his later years, he would have temper tantrums because he would become concerned with people trying to take the dynasty from him. So he killed two of his own sons that he was worried were going to usurp his authority. I mean, that's why Jerusalem was in fear When he says he's disturbed, because they're like, man, this guy will kill his own kids. I mean, parents here today, none of us could even imagine harming our children, let alone killing our children. And he had no problem executing two of his boys. He's like, I'm just done with them. right? I'm nervous about what they're going to do. So if he's going to do that over suspicion, they're all terrified of what he's going to do when he's heard another king has been born. Because he doesn't want another king. That means he's going to be replaced. So the Magi come to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, it's the capital of Israel. They're there, Herod's ruling. And they say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and it rose. And we've come to worship him. So Herod is disturbed, all of Jerusalem with him. He gathers all of the chief priests and the scribes who study scripture and say, where is this Messiah going to be born? Well, they quote to him from Micah 5. They say, well, in Micah, it says that it's going to be in Bethlehem, that there's going to be a ruler, a shepherd for my people that will come out of Bethlehem. It was one of the messianic promises that the, old, uh, the Jewish people out of the Old Testament understood as God's promise that one day he would bring a deliverer. So Herod calls them together into like a secret chamber. He's like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm pretty excited about this. I want you to go and find this child and then tell me where he is so I can also go and worship him. Now, Herod doesn't have anyone else there because he knows what he wants to do. He wants to kill him. Well, they hear the king, and then they're on their way. They see the star rise and stop over the place where the child was, and when they see the star, they're overjoyed. Now, let me explain the star thing for a minute. So there's there's miracles all through the account of the birth of Christ. The star is one of them. A star appears when Christ is born. But it wasn't likely like this. It wasn't like the Magi saw a star and the stars just kind of moving in front of them and they're just kind of walking behind. They're like, let's follow the star. They read the stars. That was what they did for a living. So they saw a star rise while they're in the east. They follow to a certain point. They get to Jerusalem, knowing that the star has led them there. They have this conversation with Herod. They come out looking for the star again. The star has positioned itself that probably from the beginning now, over the home where Jesus is, probably light granting him to that place of Bethlehem. They get there, likely not like a beam of light shining on the house, like not not this glorious moment, but they get to Bethlehem and they say, you know, because it's not a big place, we're looking for a child who was born about a year ago. Well, if you live in a town of 200 people, you know everybody's business. Amy and I went to visit friends in New Brunswick. This is a few years ago. They were in a small town in New Brunswick. He was pastoring there. They were just outside of Hopewell Rocks. And so we were there visiting. We had been in the driveway for maybe two hours. I don't know. It wasn't long. Knock on the door. <laughs> Somebody said, hey, hey, see, you got a car here from Ontario. You got visitors? Yeah. Like literally, we'd hardly been there, right? Three or four times that night, first night we were there. Oh, he's a pastor. Can we meet him? I'm like, What is going on here, right? Is he preaching for us Sunday? And Amy's like, No, you're not. And we were only there for a couple of days, then we were moving on. People, next people come to the door and they're like, Hey, you guys need anything? We see you got company. We just baked some, what I can't remember what they had baked now, cookies, pies. I remember it was good, right? And we brought some over. We see you have company. None of us live like that in the city. You don't go up to your neighbor and say, Hey, right? That's just not what we do. We might have conversations with our neighbor, but we're not kind of in their their business like that. But that's how small towns work. I I grew up in a small community. I grew up on a street of homes, and you kind of knew what everybody was up to and everybody was doing, and you were involved in each other's lives. And so they would have gone to Bethlehem and said, hey, we're looking for a child that was born about 14 months ago, a a year ago. And they said, oh, we know who you're talking about. Right? He's a carpenter. Probably didn't know he's a carpenter. You know, and and they figured it out, and there's Mary and Joseph. The star has led them there, and now they have a conversation, and they find him. And they have these gifts, treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Very expensive gifts. I mean, you think of gold even today. Gold is a commodity that we measure all wealth by, even to this day. In fact, one of the things they list to you every day, if you you listen to the stock market, is what? The price of gold. Even to this day, the price of gold is mentioned. And so he's given gold. He's given frankincense. Right, which is like a a gum-like substance that they used to make incense with. It was very expensive. And myrrh, which could be either a perfume or a spice. You could make it into either. I don't know which they gave him. It doesn't say. They just say it's myrrh. So they present these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are expensive gifts, and they're fit for a king. God then appears to them in a dream and says, don't return to Herod. Go another route. They do so. Herod finds this out, and he freaks. He's completely upset when he realizes that. Um, um, God says to Joseph, flee to Egypt. He does so. That's out of Hosea 11.1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Flees to Egypt, and then after he flees to Egypt, when Herod realizes that he's been outwitted, he has all of the boys that are two years and under slaughtered. They're just killed. Probably 15 boys. And even though it doesn't make other accounts of history, because Herod killed so many people that only his larger accounts are recorded for us, and not even all of them, um, in Jeremiah 31, it's recorded that this great morning was there. Because it doesn't matter how few kids were killed, to each of these parents, this was their child. I mean, could you imagine just being there that morning? Herod's soldiers come up, and for A reason unknown to you, your child is slaughtered in front of you. Killed in front of you. Your boy, right? Three months old, five months old, six months old, a year old, 18 months old, is killed in front of you. And of course there would be great mourning and great weeping. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Well, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. He has ultimate power. If he wants to kill those boys, he can kill those boys, that's up to him. That's the kind of king he is. Merry Christmas. So five things quickly. What comes out of this account of Jesus and the Magi? The first is this, they're looking for the king. Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. This is something we have a hard time understanding because we don't deal with monarchies, but he is the king. They went to Jerusalem, the capital of the Magi, did to find him, but he is the king. We find in, in uh, the account in Micah that he is a ruler who's a shepherd. Herod's no shepherd. Herod's a ruler with an iron fist, but Jesus is going to rule as a shepherd. A shepherd cares for its flock. A shepherd will put his life at stake so the sheep can live, so he can protect the sheep from those that are coming, the predators that want to kill them. Jesus is going to be a king who will rule as a shepherd. He will care for his people. He will be kind and he will be gracious. He will be loving. That is who he is. He is the king who is a shepherd. Number two, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. On the night of his birth, it's told to us that the shepherds are there. The shepherds would have been Jewish people. And they heard about the birth, just common everyday people. Working people, working class, probably living from day to day, paycheck to paycheck, like most people I know. Not a lot of savings, kind of living day to day. That's the shepherds. The Magi are wealthy. They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. And they have a great deal of wealth. They can take time out of their schedule to travel for months to come and find a king that's been born and travel back and not think anything of it. They're that wealthy. I mean, how many of you could just pack up whatever you're doing tomorrow and travel for five months and think nothing of it, not have to earn any money? Don't put up your hand. I don't want to know who it is, right? But most of us could never do that. We just couldn't do that. We couldn't afford to do that. We'd have to work. But the Magi are incredibly wealthy. What does that say? Jesus came for everyone. He came for the Jew and for the Gentile. He came for the rich and for the poor. He came for those that have power and influence, the magi, and for those that have none, the shepherds. He came for everyone. That is the good news of Christmas, that this king is the shepherd of all people. This king is the one who loves everyone. This king is the one who came for everyone, from every language and custom and culture and tribe, every social economic group. He came for everyone. Thirdly, the rulers want him dead. Herod here wants him dead. Satan, we hear Satan as the ruler of the king there wants him dead. Eventually the leaders of the day want him dead and they crucify him. The rulers want nothing to do with him. The rulers are like, we don't want this king. We don't want this one. They'd rather have Herod than Jesus. But he's a kind king. A gracious one. Fourthly, God will preserve and protect his son through any means possible. The magi come with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Why? Because they will fund this poor carpenter's trip to Egypt and back. God will provide. That's what he does. Jesus was born helpless. I've said this so many times through this Christmas season. God the Son cloaks his deity with humanity and incarnates, showing up here on planet Earth, the one who called the mountains into existence and the seas and told them where to go, confines himself to a woman's womb. Is there anyone any more fragile than a fetus? He's born and he's helpless. And if you've ever held a newborn, you know how helpless a newborn is. A newborn can't feed itself can't change itself. God, that's what God did. God came down that humbly to save us from sin, to grant us Merry Christmas. That's what he's done. And when he was that helpless, when God the Son came down and was that helpless, God the Father protected him. He granted magi to come with these expensive gifts so that they could go to Egypt and come back. I don't know if Joseph worked in Egypt or not. It would have been tough. He wouldn't have known the language. It would have been totally different customs and cultures. Probably it would have been hard to work. Possible that he did, but we don't know. And the father provided for his son and took care of him there. That's what God did. He protected and preserved his son. And lastly, Jesus is worthy of worship. The shepherds worship him. They come to where he is at the manger, in a stable, and they worship him. Simeon and Anna, when they hear and see who he is, they worship him. They were both at the temple when he came there uh, to mark after the days of purification that he was that, for his presentation. And when they're there, Simeon cries out, Sovereign Lord, you can now dismiss uh, your servant because as you've promised. You have allowed my eyes to see your salvation. How does he know that? The Holy Spirit reveals it to him. Anna then, who's there in her 80s, worshiping God day and night in the temple, she comes up at that moment as Simeon is doing that and pronouncing that blessing on Jesus and the light, he says, of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for the people of Israel. And as she comes up, she begins to speak about the child and how this child is going to provide redemption that he's the redeeming one. And so the shepherds worship him. Simeon and Anna worship him. The magi come and worship him. I mean, can you imagine they come before this, 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 this one-year-old and they worship him with gifts of gold and frankincense and ur. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty put a star to signify that his son had come down. And they wanted to go in to worship him. And so what will make this Christmas merry? That we would worship this child who's been born, who grew and never sinned, who died on a cross for our sin, who was raised to life three days later, and who reigns forevermore as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has all authority and power, but who kindly and graciously speaks into our lives, as a shepherd, though he's a ruler. Jesse, you guys can come up. If you think of all the power Herod had, power enough that he could just have a group of one-year-old boys, anyone under two, murdered at his command. Jesus' power is so much greater. He wouldn't have to command it. He could just think it. He is above every ruler, every authority, every power, everywhere. And though he has all of that power, he rules with grace and with forgiveness and as a shepherd. And just as a shepherd would come alongside of sheep to guide them to water, because sheep will not drink or eat unless you guide them to it. They're not the world's smartest animals. God says, I will guide you. I will walk alongside of you. I will be the king of your life that will lovingly and kindly walk alongside of you. That makes Christmas merry. That Christ is born. The Messiah has come. As the angels say, the Savior is here. He is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this Lord is the king who is gracious and kind and who will rule as a shepherd who loves his people. I say this to people all the time and I'll close with this. Many people think that God is out to ruin our lives. That if we actually give our lives over to him that our lives will be ruined by him. The God who would give his son up, the son who would come and die for our sin, who would take our place on a cross and die in our stead the God who would go through the torturous humiliation of the cross as well as having the wrath of the Father poured out on him and would do so because of his love for us, that God is never out to ruin your life. He's only out to show you what it means to live life in abundance. And he's a great God. He is the king who is a shepherd to his people. Merry Christmas. Would you pray with me? We're thankful, Lord, that you had Matthew write these words for us, that we could learn from them and the Magi in their visit. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a king who is worthy of worship. We thank you, Father, that you protected your son when he incarnated himself and came and lived among us. And we thank you that we can be a people whose lives are granted over to the Savior, who is kind and benevolent and loving and loving. And gracious so for each of us today though many of us will visit family and friends and enjoy moments of celebration and fun may we also today be reminded of the fact that jesus christ is lord and he loves us with an everlasting and unending love we ask in jesus name amen